this is Future Diaries, a podcast from the future, from the future. Welcome to Future Diaries, the podcast that transcends space and time. I am Antonis. And I'm Mike, and we're your hosts. Antonis and I are intertemporal gliders, bringing you stories from across the multiverse to inspire better presence and better futures. And I'm Caitlin, an intratemporal scribe. I help interpret stories in the hopes of making them relatable to everyone across the multiverse. In our last episode, we spoke with Lisa, an intertemporal researcher and traveler who visits different versions of her home city, Berlin, across the multiverse. And in at least one parallel universe, she also visited Uranus, which is populated with numerous sentient species. One of those species even has a performance art form Lisa describes as interspecies drag. So if you haven't already, be sure to listen to our last episode for an entertaining trip. Lisa's story was one of overcoming adversity, being open to new opportunities, and learning when and how to move forward and build brighter tomorrows. As our longtime listeners know, these are common themes on the show. We'll be exploring some of them today as well. What's more, from reading the diary entry for today's show ahead of time, I think there might also be similarities with Danny's universe and the children of the earth, with Francisca's universe and the wildfires that led to the big wake-up call, and with the world the alternate Antonis described in his diary entry. One aspect of today's show that is quite different is just how far into the future for most of our listeners will be traveling to speak to our guest, James, who hails from the 26th century in his universe. You know, Mike, despite this time difference, I'd wager that humans' basic needs for survival, like food, shelter, meaning-making, and connections to the people and places around them, will remain remarkably constant. I bet you're right, Caitlin. Another constant seems to be the dilemma humans face in determining whether to make their relationship with Earth a cooperative or competitive one. The more people we speak to across the multiverse, and the more we learn about the ecological challenges they've faced and balances they've achieved, the more it seems that competitive and domineering attitudes towards nature always seem to lead to reckonings later. That's certainly the case in James's universe. In fact, Ecological devastation got so bad there that for hundreds of years, the only Terranian human and animal life to survive had to live in underwater colonies to give Earth a chance to heal. And it was only after returning to land that they rediscovered intertemporal communications technologies. And James contacted us about sharing his grandmother's story. Oh, wow. Yeah, the ecological collapse sounds so devastating. I hope we can avoid such a fate in my universe. But I'm glad at least some people survived from his universe, and I'm really curious to hear about James's experience above ground. So am I. Well, shall we have a listen? Absolutely. Let's roll. Excerpts from the autobiography of Penny Wilson, a geological and sustainability scientist who lived in one of Australia's subaquatic salvation project, or SASP colonies. 30 miles east of the Great Barrier Reef. Read by her grandson, James Wilson. On August 16th, 2456, I gave one of the most important speeches of my career. I went before the Council of SASP Colony 3 
and told them of my research. Though we had added on to our SASP colonies throughout the years, we were quickly losing the space and the resources to continue sustaining the human race in our colonies. We needed to return back to the land. To do so, I began by telling them of the grave mistakes the human race had made that led to the Great Conflagration. The reason for our living in underwater habitations was because humans neglected and abused Mother Earth. We mined her too greedily of her precious natural resources. We cut down and destroyed almost all of her beautiful green forests. We polluted her skies and waters with toxins and poisonous gases. Because of these grave misdeeds, noxious pollutants ate away at the planet's atmosphere until it became so weak that holes appeared in it. The ultraviolet radiation began killing entire forests, which became fuel for the raging wildfires that scorched the earth. I then told the council how sustainable we had become in the SASB colonies. Advanced hydroponic technologies have helped us efficiently grow all manner of plant life, including food crops. Green energy in the form of water turbines and floating solar transmitters, or FSTs, power our underwater energy mainframes. Though the vast majority of the Earth's terranean animal life became extinct with the Great Conflagration, the few species of animals that reside in our SASP colonies are thriving and living happy, free lives. Finally, I told them that with the proper instruction, we could begin to venture back to the land and try to cultivate the Earth once more. It had been over 400 years since the Great Conflagration had taken place, and during that time, there had been zero human interaction on the land. Over the course of several centuries, the Earth had begun the slow process of healing itself, so much so that our latest geological scans had found almost no pollutants left in the air, soil fertile enough to raise crops, and temperatures safe enough to live in. After I concluded my research, the Council promised to deliberate on my findings and come to a conclusion on whether or not it was wise for us to make the change. Decades of disagreements among Council leaders ensued, but on January 1st of the year 2497, the first humans to venture back to land established the first settlement in what we now call New Brisbane. As I sit writing this autobiography, I can't help but reflect back on my life. I was 40 years old when I appeared before the council of SASB Colony 3. At the time of the writing of this memoir, which is June 10th, 2497, I am now 81 years of age. I am not sure how much longer I will live, so I decided to write down all the major events of my life in this memoir so that future generations will never forget what we went through to get back to life on land. My two sons, their families, and I were with the first settlers as we made our voyage to the long-forgotten continent of Australia. Once we made land and established a base camp, I immediately began writing. It has taken me five long months to go over and transcribe my personal journals, as well as the written histories our historians kept on the colony. If you are reading this, please, I urge you, do not commit the damage we humans inflicted upon the earth so many years ago. 
It has taken over 400 years for the earth to heal. I fear that if we were to fall back into the same patterns of destruction our ancestors were guilty of, the earth may not be able to heal again. This is our second chance. This is our chance to prove to the earth that we, her children, are worthy of her glorious beauty, wonder, and majesty. My name is Penny Wilson, and I am no longer a member of SASP Colony 3. I am now a citizen of New Brisbane. Wow, what a story. Welcome to Future Diaries, James. Thank you. It's great to be joining you. After listening to the story, I have so many questions. I'm not even sure where to begin. Let's start with this one. In your grandmother's autobiography, she writes with certain reverence for the earth and life. What can you tell us about your grandmother and her views? And how did her research influence the Council's ultimate decision to support the SASP citizens resettling in Australia? My grandmother was an inspiration to everyone she encountered and was definitely a pioneer in sustainable technology. I remember she used to tell me stories of how, when she was a little girl, she dreamed of what life could be like living above water. When she grew up, she helped make that dream become a reality by dedicating her life towards that cause. After presenting her research to the leaders of SASP Colony 3, she began working on what she called perfect sustainability. I believe that her research on perfect sustainability was the sole reason why the Council finally agreed that humanity was finally ready to transition back to life above water. Ten years after arriving on land, at the age of 91, Grandma Penny passed away. I've been living on dry land for a little over two decades, and it's all thanks to her and the visionary work she effectuated throughout her life. James, thanks for sharing those details from your grandmother's life. She sounds like a remarkable leader. All right, next question for you. From the passage you read from your grandmother's autobiography, it isn't clear whether you were born in the SASP colony or are part of the first generation of humans to be born above ground in New Brisbane. Were you alive for the exodus from the SASP colonies? And what can you tell us about growing up and life in New Brisbane? Also, you mentioned your grandmother's work on perfect sustainability. What do you think she meant by the term? Great question, Mike. I was actually born in one of the SASP colonies, much like everyone else was at that time in my universe. But I was 10 years old when my family went with my grandmother and the other settlers to New Brisbane. We began implementing the new technologies in perfect sustainability that my grandmother helped to develop right away. New Brisbane uses solar and wind turbine power but it also uses a form of steam power. The natural byproduct of steam power plants is water vapor. We know from our past that too much water vapor in our atmosphere leads to warmer temperatures, which causes more water vapor to be absorbed into the air, which leads to warmer temperatures. This relationship is a spiraling cycle if left unchecked. In order to combat this, my grandmother helped to develop water vapor converters or WVCs, which are like an enormous, highly efficient dehumidifier. These WVCs are placed near every establishment that uses steam power. This device, which is solar powered, collects the water vapor emissions 
and converts them into potable water that can be used for human or animal consumption or for hydroponic crop irrigation. This is just one example of the principles of perfect sustainability my grandmother insisted on building into our energy and food systems. I'm 32 years old now, and because of the successes in perfect sustainability that we've had, everyone in our SASP colonies have made the transition to dry land, settling new cities up and down the Australian coast. That's encouraging to hear, James. Sounds like you're on the right track. You just mentioned hydroponics, which your grandmother also said were essential to surviving in the SASP colonies. What can you tell us about the hydroponics SASP colony residents developed, and what do citizens of New Brisbane eat? Yes, thank you for asking. Because the colonies were completely submerged in water, we had to adapt to different means of agriculture rather quickly. With hydroponics, we were able to still grow crops for food, but scaling them to feed whole colonies was a slow process. Had it not been for the vast stores of canned goods and other prepackaged food supplies each colony started with, we never would have survived our first year. Our scientists and agriculturalists began working on the hydroponic systems, improving that technology over the centuries and making them sustainable via our floating solar transmitters. As far as animals are concerned, the few species that survived the conflagration have lived happy free lives. We partake of animal products as part of our diets, such as milk, eggs, and cheese. But the only animals we consume come from the ocean. We eat fish, shellfish, and crustaceans, but even then it's sparingly. We don't want to make the same mistakes our ancestors made by over-farming animals to the point of extinction. The main source of food comes from what we grow. We eat a lot of grains, legumes, fruits, and vegetables. Everything is 100% organic, too, so it tastes great. Now, that's a diet I'd be happy to survive on. From studying the universe, that's alternate version of myself survived on. Well, if what he described counts as survival, I guess. I remember humans managed to cause a mass extinction of species with their abilities that had an irreversible effect on their own survival. It looks like something similar happened in your universe, up to what you call the conflagration. Towards the end of the passage you read, your grandmother implored readers not to make the same mistakes that led to the Great Conflagration. So, in addition to finding sustainable food sources, what else are citizens of New Brisbane doing to establish a more balanced existence with the Earth? Well, my grandmother always said that we were meant to live on land. But she warned us that if we didn't respect the land, waters, and skies, we would throw off the harmony of Mother Earth. In perfect sustainability, nothing contributes to the pollution of our planet. The WVCs mentioned earlier help to regulate temperatures so it doesn't get hotter than what nature intended. We want to always respect Mother Earth and the environment, so we've done the best we can to make ourselves perfectly sustainable. You could say that our government, our recreation, even our religion, follow these practices of being perfect stewards to our planet. Wow, it sounds like you're doing remarkably well in New Brisbane, all things considered. What would you say are the greatest challenges New Brisbane faces now towards continued success? The greatest challenge we face right now is getting used to life on land. For centuries, we lived underwater, so humanity evolved accordingly. You can imagine, for example, 
the extra care we need to take for our skin to withstand sunlight. Above land, different seasons not only bring about changes in temperature, but we found that certain crops have a corresponding season as well. Even with hydroponics, it was a challenge growing our food at first because the air wasn't always temperate. We are also struggling with the rising generation. The ones who were born on land know nothing of what life was like underwater. This has caused some minor social disagreements between our older and our younger citizens. But aside from that, we are thriving and happy to finally be back on land. In my universe, there's a children's story called The Big Mermaid, where a mermaid gets legs in exchange for her voice. I think it's beautiful that your community didn't lose their voice in the transition to land. It does feel, however, that not much has changed in 400 years, at least not as much as one would expect. You're absolutely right. We should have done this sooner, but we had to focus on survival, so all of our innovation went towards getting underwater. It was a slow process developing these newer technologies to get us to perfect sustainability, but we're finally there and we made it. Yeah, that makes sense. All right, we always like to end the pod with this question. What do you hope our audience will learn from your story? I hope that everyone will understand that the time to respect the environment is now. Not some distant date in the future, but today, right now. Learn from our mistakes. We almost completely destroyed our planet once. Luckily, we were given a second chance. But second chances don't always come. Do what you can now to take care of your surroundings and your environment. Do what you can to lessen your environmental impact. Do what you can to start working towards a future where perfect sustainability isn't a dream, but a reality. You might be asking yourself, well, what can I do? Damage has already been done to my environment. What good can one person do? Start by taking an inventory of your own impact and then educate others around you. Remember, my grandmother was one person, but she changed the course of our humanity. One person can make a difference. There is always hope for the future, but you have to fight for it. Thank you very much, James. I've already learned from that and I feel inspired to keep doing my work as a glider. I always find it amazing how differently life goes on in the different universes we encounter as gliders, yet how common the way we experience emotions is. Thank you so much for joining us today, James. All right, that would do it for this episode of Future Diaries. And to you, our listeners, if you have enjoyed our show, please subscribe to Future Diaries on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever fine podcasts are distributed in your universe. You can also visit our website at futurediaries.show, where you can find additional content about us and the universes we come from, as well as subscribe to our newsletter and find other ways to support the show. I'm Antonis. I'm Mike. And I'm Caitlin. And we'll talk to you in, in the, the future. future.